All right, everybody. Tonight, uh, we get to do one of our favorite things here at SCUM. Tonight is Story Night. And what Story Night is, if you're not familiar with it, is we have people from, our, from the congregation, you guys, get up and tell their story. Uh, and basically, it's a way that you can see how God works in other people and not just the professional Christians who get up here and talk at you all the time. Um, that's really the point of it, is just so you can see how God works in other people's lives. And maybe you relate to them in some way, um, or maybe you, know, you don't relate to them but can just appreciate seeing what God does in other people. Um, so yeah, we've referred to this in the past as this is the best thing we do at SCUM. Uh, we try to do it every so often, quarterly at least. Um, so yeah, so tonight we have three women who are going to get up and tell you their story. First up is Annette Crotty is going to talk, then Danae Lammers, and then Sarah Bynes. Um, so yeah, when you get, when, once Annette's done, just come on up, Danae, and then Sarah, just come on up and start your story. But we're going to start things off tonight with Annette. Come on up. Hi, Scum. How you doing? Good. Wow, wonderful. A lot of beautiful faces. A lot of people who know me. A lot of people who don't. But I am Annette. Most of you know me as your resident metalhead. Uh, I'm a person who can talk about science and metal all day. I can do it all day. But this assignment was hard because I had to talk about myself. I had to kind of deal with some things about me and my past that were kind of hard to talk about. Little of a klimt, but like, I'm going to get over it. But tonight, I'm going to tell you a story not only about me, but about Jesus. I'd really like to tell you this story is just about me. Then I'll only be telling part of it. But it is my personal belief that when we follow Jesus, our lives belong to him. And if we allow him, he can redeem our lives. So a little bit about my background. I came from an abusive family. I came from a home where there was a lot of physical and emotional abuse from both of my parents. My house was not a safe place. Um, my sister and I both feared having altercations with them because they turned into full-blown physical fights. My parents fought continually with each other, and often these fights would turn into public fights. Um, for that reason, my family got kicked out of living situations. My parents would often um, lose their jobs. We'd have to move away. We'd lose touch with relatives that kind of got sick of dealing with us. Um, we'd have to move churches because my parents were disruptive. Uh, one of my first exposures to Christ and the church was when I was seven years old. I remember sitting in the church pews with my parents while they were fighting explosively. It was so disruptive that the pastor stopped right in the middle of his sermon and stared at us in complete disbelief. And my parents didn't stop fighting. The sermon stopped and just... They didn't stop. It was, it was amazing to me as a, as a child to see that and go, wow, like, what is happening here? Unfortunately, the abuse only escalated after they had divorced when I was a teenager. So I ran away frequently to escape their separate houses. But life didn't get better. 
Um, I had to couch surf for nearly a decade, and I had to find stable work where I could so I could keep afford to attend college. I've lived in my car. I've lived with people who are awful, who are drug dealers, people who um, were definitely criminals, had their own abusive situations happen. It just wasn't great. <laughs> I've had situations where I've had less than a day to move. I was threatened by people I lived with, and I didn't have much to eat. The worst thing about these scenarios is that I often had to stay in relationships that were abusive. I had to continue to date terrible people to keep my place to live. There were criminals, liars, cheaters, drug abusers, users, and pretty much losers. Uh, my version of what love was becoming was transactional. What I mean by that is that my relationships with people were based on if I give this, I can get that. For me, that meant I gave more of myself physically, sexually, and emotionally than what was biblical or healthy to get my basic needs met. I was operating on a false belief that if I took care of somebody else, they would take care of me in return. Things started to change after I accepted Christ in 2015, when a good friend took me to church. But I still didn't believe I would be a person that God would love. It's hard to believe God loves you, and Jesus will forgive you, when people continually show you that they don't love you and they don't forgive you. It was hard to believe that anyone would find me worth it or that God wasn't vengeful or mean or that I had to live a hard life just because I was being indicted by God. Not only did I struggle with accepting God's love, but coming to, to terms with the fact that I was increasingly becoming more and more mentally ill especially without a diagnosis to what I was experiencing. I was in and out of therapy. I would just quit when no one offered me any answers. Negative thoughts flooded my brain. I started dissociating at random times, so I couldn't think clearly. I had mood swings that seemed to last into days into weeks without letting up. I was always in pain, and I couldn't handle life anymore. This led to five suicide attempts in a two-year span. However, I held on to the belief that Christ could cure me, that he had the answers I needed. No matter how bad life got, Christ was there. He had to be. I kept reading stories about how he was so loving to people who didn't deserve it, how he cured people who had illnesses that were undiagnosable. I followed him relentlessly, hoping our paths would cross and I would be healed. So in 2016, I started praying to Christ to heal me of my mental illness and to heal these areas of my life where deep hurt was stemming from. I prayed for four years without hearing a word from the Holy Spirit, but I was going to press God for an answer. I was sick of living in pain, and at this point, I bet my faith on it that I'd hear something. It took until last year. I had nothing to do on a weeknight. I was completely bored. And I decided to stop into SCOM while David's Tent event was going on. If you haven't heard of David's Tent, by the way, you can ask Larry about it. It's amazing. It's an amazing spiritual experience. It's very dynamic. And like even me talking about it right now, like can't do it justice. It's just like an amazing thing. While I was at the event, I started to pray for healing. And I finally heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I love you, Cheryl. You're wonderful. Larry's wife is wonderful, too. 
But this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me. You're carrying burdens that are not yours to carry. And I'll cure you of these. I was in a state of shock. I panicked over this. Like, I didn't know what it could mean. But it's hard to hear. Some things the Holy Spirit says are hard to hear. It just makes you kind of distressed, you know, but in a good way. <laughs> you know, that things would be different, that change could be possible. But I just didn't know what that would look like. Thank God the Lord keeps his promises. Because in the past year, I've seen the Holy Spirit point out areas in my life that are causing my illness. People started coming out of nowhere, saying they could help me, like therapists and people from SCUM and good friends that I wouldn't have, I think, if I didn't pray for them. I feel like I've been the recipient of so many blessings just because I let the Lord handle my healing. Here are three changes that Christ brought into my life recently. Number one, I received a diagnosis about my mental illness after 10 years which allows me to manage it successfully without meds, so I don't need medication. Um, number two, one area of my life that was pointed out was my past relationships with men and how toxic that was. So thanks to Larry and Maggie, who are amazing, I got my soul ties prayed over and healed. And number three, I got over my depression completely. I'm starting to really enjoy life. I feel like... Life isn't a continuous cycle of pain and suffering. I just feel like Christ gave me a better reason to be glad every day. Like, I'm actually getting better, which I didn't think would be something that would be ever on the table for me. I love getting emotional, by the way. It's kind of fun. Kind of fun for me. <laughs> I feel like I've done dumber things inside this building, though. So, like, I don't feel like I'm nervous or anything, because I think you guys have seen me do some funny stuff. <laughs> but I digress. I feel like when we call to God to change us, that he really takes time to listen to us. It reminds me that, the, that we worship just a powerful, all-dynamic, all all-almighty all God, and nothing is out of the range of possibility for him. No matter where we come from or if we think we deserve it or not, it all comes down to taking a leap of faith and letting the Lord redeem us. I still have a long way to go, but trusting the Lord to pull me out of a dark place is the only, only the start to what I can accomplish through him and my future with Christ. And well, scum, that's all I have. so just bear with me, even though I know all of you pretty well. Um, I'm just going to start out with reading a part of scripture um, that's been speaking to me recently. Um, and it's Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Um, so most of my adult life, I've really resonated with the idea of, like, my true self or my identity or, like, what I would call my heart, um, as this, like, picture of a house, like, this, like, grand house. Um, 
And it kind of came from this dream that I felt like the Lord gave me when I was in college. And um, I'll kind of come back to that, but before I get to that, just as a side note, this isn't really going to be my conversion story. Um, I was a pretty basic Christian, like the whole like basic white girl thing, like I was I was basic Christian. Um, I was, I think, saved when I was six. I was baptized when I was six, um, and I wanted to follow Jesus, and I wanted to, to go to heaven, and I wanted to be a good kid and, you know, do all the right things. Um, and then I rededicated my life to Christ in 1998 when I was 11 at a Christian camp. And I think that's kind of when I pinpointed that I actually, like, really wanted to be a disciple. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of come back around. So um, getting back to this, this dream, the backstory to all of this, um, I moved from uh, Arizona, where I was born, to Colorado in fifth grade. And then in sixth grade, we started going to a church up north, um, and that's where I met Michael for the first time. So we've known each other for like 20 years now. Um, and I also kind of, he was a part of this like group of friends that we uh, started to have, and we just became really close, um, fast friends. And there was one other person in this group of friends that I um, just began to have this really deep relationship with, and essentially I fell in love with this person. Um, and as our relationship kind of deepened, we were friends throughout like middle school and high school, it became really toxic um, and emotionally abusive. And it was this like pseudo romance thing that we'd never actually dated, but it was like, it was just this like really deep relationship that was really confusing and really toxic. Um, and I was like really, I was led on by this person for like two or three years. Um, and that went on for a while until it ended, um, the beginning of my senior year, um, when this person went off to college along with all of my other friends because I was a year and grade behind everybody. So I finished my senior year while everybody else was doing their freshman year of college. And so everyone kind of like abandoned me and I was just, like alone and depressed and um, I didn't really know who I was at that point because I had poured so much of my identity into this relationship that like didn't make sense to me, that was confusing. Like I felt that I was going crazy at points because I, I like, because it was so emotionally abusive and um, there's so many things that were wrong with it. And then when I came out of that experience, I had no idea who I was. I didn't even know what I liked to wear or do or the music that I liked to listen to. I was just really depressed. And like my senior year, I don't really have a lot of memories of um, because I've just blocked a lot of it out. And um, so when I graduated high school, I wanted to get as far away from Colorado as I could. And so I went to Portland for school. And I was definitely running away, and I kind of knew that. Like, God kind of was just like, okay, I'll let you run away, and, you know, we'll figure this out. Um, and so when I was in Portland, I, I began to heal a little bit from this relationship. But, like, again, I didn't really de recognize, like, what my needs were, what my giftings were. Like, I just, like, lost all sense of, like, who I was. Um, and I, I just, I didn't really know, like like, why God loved me, and I kind of just was in this place of, like, just, like, just being lost. 
Um, and during this time, Michael and I started dating um, online because we started talking online. This was back when like the instant messenger was like the thing, and that's what we did like every night. Um, and we would he we lived here in Denver, and so we would chat online. And um, God really did a lot of healing there in my relationship. And so um, around the time Michael and I were talking, we kind of started to try to decide if we should date because we were really close friends and we were just getting closer and closer. And so we're like, okay, eventually we're going to either have to say that we're dating or we're not going to be friends anymore um, and just really, you know, call it what it was. And so around that time I had this dream and um, I just want you to imagine with me like this huge like Victorian mansion that's like crumbling. Like if you've seen the movie Casper, the Casper house, um, like I had this vision in this dream that I was like in this house, like the Casper house. And I remember it because like the floor was like that cool spiral, you know. Um, and in this dream, like I just remember the house being like kind of decrepit, like it was just falling apart. There was broken windows, like... Like, the walls were kind of, like, coming down around me as if there was, like, an earthquake. Um, and the floor was cracking and falling apart, like, coming up from the bottom. And um, there was a lot of layers in that dream. It was definitely, like, something that the Holy Spirit gave me to interpret throughout the rest of my life. Um, but <laughs> uh, kind of the main thing that I got out of it is, is in this dream, I was trying to get this person that I had had this toxic relationship with out of my house to the point that like it was like all falling apart around me like it was like such a traumatic thing um trying to get this person like evicted essentially from this room that i'd given them in my house and in the process of that the whole house just comes crumbling down and just this massive ruin um and so um i uh yeah, I'll say as a side note, um, at the end of this dream, <laughs> Michael, in my dream, sailed in on this like pirate ship made of yarn. Um, so it was like this soft, beautiful like ship that was like this multicolored yarn. It was just this beautiful thing. Um, and so you can like make of that what you will. Um, and I even said, like in my dream, I remember him like, I remember being like scared that he was like, gonna drop anchor because I was like you're gonna damage the floor <laughs> even though like the whole thing was just like this wreck around me and like the floor was just this like just destruction you know um and so that's kind of like that comes back around also but um the the point of that is that I I really was just trying to like I was just I was just a wreck at this point um, and now, at this point, I just want to share this um, passage from Luke 6. It's Luke 6, 47 to 49. Um, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on a, on a ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So in this dream, I, I thought that I had built, you know, my house, my identity, myself on a foundation. <laughs> and it really was just I had built on this foundation of this lie that I'd become, that I'd come to, like, believe about myself. Um, 
just, you know, from really, really early on. And that lie was that you are not wanted. Um, people only love you for what you can give them um, and for what you can do for them and not for who you are. And um, if anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, <laughs> I'm probably annoying a lot of you lately because I've been talking about it a lot. Um, but the Enneagram is like a personality um, descriptor. And it kind of talks a lot about um, how to interpret um, your personality through the light of the gospel and through um, some of the damaging things that you might believe about yourself. And so I'm a type two, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, but I'll just leave that there. But what that means is that, like, my um, kind of built-in lie was that I had to, like, self-sacrifice in order to be loved. Um, that I'm not lovable unless I'm doing for people, unless I'm, like, serving, unless I'm, like, totally, like, self-abnegation. Like, and if I don't do that, then I can't be loved. Um, and... Um, it's interesting because this, this kind of permeated throughout, like, just the whole story of my life. Um, a year before this dream, when I was still in high school, um, I felt like God was calling me to be a missionary. I had gone on a mission trip, and I felt like God was showing me that that was the path that I was supposed to take. And so in my unhealth and this lie that I believed that I could only be loved if I was doing, I, I started to make being a missionary my identity because I was like, well, my identity with this loving this person that I'd had this relationship with, like, was like blown up and, you know, damaged. And so I started to make my identity being about serving and being a missionary. And so I started down this path where like every decision I made was to go towards that and to serve and to, um, you know, be sacrificial. And all those things are good, but not when you make them, like, your whole being. Like, that's all you're about. Um, and so, um, so going back to this dream, I, I could have probably dug a lot deeper at that point, and I didn't. I kind of took it at face value, and for that, at that point, for me, it was like, oh, I, I had let this relationship go, and I'm moving on. Well, that wasn't all of it. Um, I really should have figured it out at that point that, like, the house was coming down because I had no foundation. Um, or the foundation was basically, it was just a lie. Um, and so, kind of skipping forward, um, after that dream, Michael and I started dating. Um, I moved back to Colorado. Uh, we got engaged. I finished school. Um, started coming to SCUM in 2008. We got married in 2010. Um, and as I was kind of saying, my whole life kind of was on this path of like going towards missions and going towards serving overseas. And so we made a lot of decisions and we had a ton of ups and downs and so many closed doors. Um, just to name a couple, I won't even go into detail, but we were denied entry from Scotland. Um, we uh, applied to be missionaries with Greater Europe Mission and were told that we weren't going to be appointed. Um, all these things that we tried to do kind of to serve this, like, direction that we were going to do missions work um, were, like, all these closed doors. And every time we came up against uh, one of these, like, closed doors, it was, like, devastating to me because I had, again, made my identity serving and being this, like, minister. 
Um, and so when I was like told I couldn't do that, or you know there was roadblocks in the way, it was like my house was coming coming down and crumbling all around me all over again, every single time. And that was kind of my journey with scum. And so some of you have heard some of the stories with that. There was a lot of just up and down, um, and kind of only got through it because of the community here. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, even even good things that happened in my life uh, shook this like sense of identity that I had found in the wrong place. Like even becoming a mom. Um, if some of you have kids, you know that when you become a parent, your identity kind of like becomes your kids, and you're like, who am I? And like, what? What am I doing with my life? Like, do I just exist to be this little person's like? snack fetcher you know <laughs> like so you kind of I mean, even so it's such an amazing wonderful thing to become a parent like you kind of are like shook you know in your core and you're like who am i um and so i yeah i just didn't really know who i was and it's funny because in my dream i thought the problem was the relationship i thought the problem was this person that i was trying to get out of my life and the fact that i hadn't found forgiveness and that i haven't healed from this abusive relationship and that I was still really angry, and I thought that that was the problem. Um, and the reality was that I just, I just had no foundation. And I didn't really come to get that until a couple months ago. Um, I ran into this person's family at the grocery store, and uh, it was kind of traumatic. Like, it wasn't like a bad like, conversation or anything. It was just, it was a very, like, um, you know, normal conversation, like, hi, how are you doing? How's this person? How's your family? Like, you know, um, and <laughs> I just, I came away after hugging them bye, and I just was like, I was just shook. Um, I could, like, barely drive home at that point <laughs> um, because I was just slowly traumatized by this, this thing. Um, and so it was kind of like God was, like, speaking to me, and the Holy Spirit was just like, you know, you think that you dealt with this, and you didn't. Um, and you think that you've dealt with this for a really long time, but we're going to deal with it now. Like, it's going. You know, we're, we're going to get rid of it now. <laughs> that was so hard. Um, partly just because I felt so ashamed that I let that go on for so long. Um, and that I let myself not realize the, the problem there for so long. Um, and so I was really depressed for a couple weeks. Um, I watched a lot of Netflix, as my housemates can attest to. I was, like, stuck on this, like, one show. Um, but, you know, as I was depressed, I felt like God was just, like, digging up the foundation that I'd laid, you know, the crappy foundation that wasn't really one. And he was just digging it up, you know, and it was, it, it, it's not fun. And I'm kind of still in that place. Um... And so, um, yeah, the Holy Spirit really began to just expose things and led me to people, um, kind of like Annette said, just people came out of the woodwork that were like, yeah, I want to help you deal with this. Things um, kind of were falling into place where I was learning about myself, um, partly through the Enneagram, partly through spiritual like disciplines, like the um, you know, meditation and just meditating on scripture, um, started meeting with Michael Cespedes, who's a counselor, um, and with Kathy Pence. And so, uh, you know, I'm still kind of in, in this process right now. Um, but one of the things that I, I've kind of 
teased out of that huge mess is that recently, like, I'm, I'm seeing that, like, the foundation that, like, I should have built everything on from the beginning um, was that I'm loved just because of existing, just because of who I am. Um, it's not what I can do for anyone. It's not what I can do for the kingdom. Um, it's not how well I can obey. Um, and it's not even how well I can love other people. Um, and um, yeah, I'm still kind of learning this. In the midst of that, God brought these two scriptures to mind as far as like what my direction is now. Um, the first is First Chronicles 28.10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I was, I, you know, it was like very much like God being like, oh, okay, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the work. Um, and the second one is Zechariah 8, 9, and I'm going to read it in the NIV and then the message. Um, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. And then the message version says, get a grip on things. Hold tight, you who are listening to what I say through the preaching of the prophets. The temple of God of the angel armies has been reestablished. The temple is being rebuilt. We've come through a hard time. You've worked for repentance, and we're lucky to get that. The streets were dangerous. You could never let your guard down. I had turned the world into an armed camp. And so <laughs> these really just... Um, solidified what God has been showing me. Um, and that the laying of the foundation is, is really the, the sense of like finding my identity, not in anything that I'm doing, um, not in, you know, like how cool or special I am or like the things that I like to do, but just finding it in God and finding in that I, I'm worthy just by existing. I don't have to do anything. Um, and I think that's really the message of the gospel. It's just, like, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. God loves you. There's nothing you can do. Um, and obviously, I still have a lot of healing to do because these things are obviously now just kind of being brought up and they're kind of being dealt with along the way. Um, but yeah, I guess I just want to encourage um, everybody to just think about... Um, your identity, and even our identity as a church. Um, are we finding it in how best we can serve, like in how cool we are, in our job status, in the health of our church, and how many people are attending, um, in being cool or different, or in being safe? Um, or are we finding our identity just in Christ loving us? And so, yeah, so that's just something that I'm thinking about as I'm in this season now of rebuilding. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely taking me a while, but um, God's with me in it. All right, 
guys have been waiting a long time for this, I'm sure, since 2008 when I first started coming. So uh, my name is Sarah Bynes. Um, I have, but so I'm just going to kind of read off of my script because otherwise I could go on tangents. There's already kind of tangents, but they're like written tangents, so they're okay. Okay. <laughs> so my name is Sarah Bynes. I've been attending SCUM since 2008. I've never been asked to share my story, but to be fair, I never really thought I had a story. Oh no, it's blowing away. Um, but the reality is that we all do, uh, whether it's written as a telenovela or simply a made-for-TV reality show. Maybe it even feels sometimes like a boring infomercial. Um, our story, no matter how it might feel, it matters. So um, my coming to SCUM was really all thanks to this kid that I kept on seeing wandering around the Auraria campus in these distinctive Carhartt coveralls. There was just something about them that like drew my attention to them, and then I ran into them at another church and was invited to SCUM. I was enticed by the idea of vegan dinners and the crustiness of this 2008 version of SCUM. It was so different from the church that I'd grown up in a church that I had been baptized into, attending all the way from Sunday school, sitting crisscross applesauce on the classroom carpet, to professing my faith and answering a set of very theological-driven questions called the Heidelberg Catechism. So much like Danae, I um, am that basic white girl Christian who um, went to church my whole upbringing. Um, I don't necessarily remember a strict conversion story, but I just knew that I wanted to walk alongside Christ, and that's just been kind of my thing ever since, even though sometimes it's a walk, sometimes it's a run, sometimes it's like a pulling you by your hair. <laughs> like, it just doesn't always feel at the same pace. But anyways, see, like I said, tangents. That one wasn't in the paper. Um, so yeah, I went to Christian Reformed Church growing up, um, so did a profession of faith, which is similar to like um, confession, or what is it called in the Catholics? Confirmation, Confirmation thank you. Um, and then I also attended a private Christian school for my entire education, so kindergarten through my senior year of high school, also my first two years of college being at a Christian school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So <laughs> after 18 years of being a part of a very religious population of believers, I know I was very blessed. Um, to have such a loving and um, loving, blessed upbringing, I was also getting pretty burnt out. Um, so as a senior in high school, my number one college having already accepted both myself and my then boyfriend, I was pretty sure I had my entire life trajectory figured out. But do we ever really have that shit figured out? So, of course, like any real-life rom-com, minus most of the comedy, instead replaced with awkward eye contact. My boyfriend at the time, the one going to the very same college as me, who oddly enough ended up being in the same dorm and on my brother floor, decided respectfully that my most dramatic award on the school yearbook was a clue that he didn't have the energy to, in his very own words, continue guzzling bottles of Pepto-Bismol in order to deal with the stress and anxiety that accompany an 18-year-old me. So, long story short, my plan to go to college with my high school sweetheart, become a kindergarten teacher while he was busy becoming a doctor, lawyer, or some lucrative career to make all the money, 
I would then raise our children, join the PTA, host all the elite neighborhood soirees. Well, that never happened. So my second year of college, the end of my first semester, I had a bit of a nervous breakdown and just abandoned ship. It could have had something to do with the fact that since I had broken up my senior year and was going through all this stuff my first couple years of college, I decided to get into the world of online dating, and that was just kind of a train wreck. So, um, so where was I in my notes? Sorry. Um, I had a nervous breakdown and abandoned ship. It could have had something to do with the fact that I had started online dating and kept on obsessing over mustachioed mistakes disguised as band-aids to patch up my busted ego. Or perhaps it was to satiate that passion and desire which I had buried deep throughout my teen years. When most prom dates were caught groping one another in the back seat, taking drugs and whatever, let's be honest, I'm a, um, and whatever, sorry, it was, okay, let's try that again. <laughs> let's start at the groping part again, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Remember that awkward eye contact part? It's also awkwardly written part. Oh, da, 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 da. I'm so sorry. Um, okay. So when most prom dates were caught groping one another in the back seat and taking drugs and whatever other escapades were being displayed on Dawson's Creek or Degrassi, because let's be honest, I'm a Degrassi generation, even though my husband hates Drake, I was have a little bit of a crush on him. So I don't know if you guys are Degrassi fans. Canada, yay! Okay. <laughs> um, so um, I was busy reading Jane Eyre novels and watching The Princess Bride, longing for my own dear, sweet Wesley. But that thought alone was inconceivable. I, was, I thought that there were only two paths to choose from, promiscuity or absolute purity. I had this deep desire for intimacy, and I was running towards everything that wasn't it. I had confused lust with companionship, and my value was only seen in how much I could get the stranger on the other side of the screen to need the version of me I tried like hell to sell. So this transition from church kid, private school perfectionist, turned quickly into a girl just wanting to feel loved and accepted. I still struggle with those things to this day. But bless the Lord above in much different and healthier ways. So what I'm saying is those things never went away. They just became redirected and have become kind of the backbone of my story. I joined this church back in 2008 looking for a group of people that fit my description of cool and edgy. I was never that girl in high school, tried and failed to be that girl in college, and so I thought maybe I could inch my way in at this church as a new and improved version of me. Start with a clean slate. But you quickly learn that these things stick with you. So fast forward. Many broken relationships, careers, friendships later, and here I am, married, with two beautiful children. I'm a teacher. I haven't cried yet, which is really good. It's like my love language is crying. <laughs> um, okay. It's how the spirit flows through me in salty tears. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, like all these things that, remember that like trajectory that I had planned before? Like, no, he's maybe not a rich lawyer. He makes like B-grade horror films and loves lots of pop culture references that I have no idea about. Um, but God showed up. Um, and so yeah, I have all these things that originally, like I thought this is going to be what I want. I'm a teacher. I have two beautiful children. That's a whole other story in itself. Um, so yeah, so fast forward, um, and I'm finally being asked to share my story. Um, so scum isn't the same, and neither am I. Those nights of vegan dinners and art shows at the 11th Ave Gallery are long gone. Uh, now I get most of my socializing done in mom's group. <laughs> so the blonde-haired, blue-eyed hellions that were running around down the slide had to be pulled from worship for their lovely display of worshiping Jesus. Um, those are mine. So that's a whole nother story night on its own, but needless to say, it was something I didn't think was part of the plan. Once I had thrown out that high school trajectory me, um, previously mentioned. But God likes to work that way, doesn't he? Ripping apart and rearranging the equations that we so carefully crafted and calculated. I had given up on teaching. I was ready to make being a cool kid my full-time job. I was a barista at a trendy local coffee shop. I had a cute apartment in Cap Hill with creaky hardwood and a clawfoot bathtub. But then I found out I was pregnant and out of wedlock. The shame that had been hiding in the shadows disguised as various golden calves of my own creation decided to rear their ugly head. For too long, I had melted down gold to create my own gods, but the refining fire was melting me down. The beautiful thing was, and is, that in all of this, while I was pursuing all these other highs and lows, Christ hung on, hung on as my constant. Even when I was, and still am, in places where I don't quite know where our relationship falls, he still sits patiently by my side and accepts me with loving arms. And I've been blessed. I've, given, I've been given words to explore a story that I thought was no massive change of heart, but the catharsis of actually standing up here and releasing all of this story into physical verbiage and giving my life a plot diagram of source, sorts, well, it makes you see things differently. I'm so grateful for being able to share my life with this community. It's not always easy and it's messy, but isn't that what most families look like? If there's time before I go, I'd love to share a few poems with you, um, which is just kind of a way that I like to express my relationship and just kind of explore um, things that I've gone through. So I have two short poems, one kind of about my relationship with God and then one um, just about being a mom, um, which I kind of love that Danae touched about that. Like we do kind of lose our identity in things, whether it be our job, our passions, our hobbies, our parentage, our lack of parentage. Um, it is easy to lose ourselves in that. So I just have two quick poems um, and then I'll be out of your hair. Okay. So this is going to be better than the one time at open mic night with soul daddy Alan Brooks where I went up to the stage and I accidentally read a poem about like an ex-boyfriend and I prefaced it that I was actually reading a poem about my grandfather. So hopefully this will be a little bit better than that. Okay, so I call this first one Trinity and it does feel weird having this microphone just here, but that's okay. Okay. Lusting after... Whew, sorry. Whew. 
Lusting after perfection, convoluted perceptions of natural selection, forced affection, open hands to ideas born from innocent conception, rather than the corruption of emotions, eruptions of man-made joy, the soul sings, the deer quenches for living water, isolation faking it as a social norm, so far from the norm, never fully understanding home, emphasizing alone as something lacking, never fully formed. If you're truly three in one, then why does it feel so lonely sometimes? Why does it feel like grasping and gasping for air that's thick with grief and brokenness? Claiming to be healing and hope, not a promise of joy or peace, but a calling into it instead. Dressed in a spirit of confusion, chosen as first fruits, fallen so far from the tree, shriveled and decaying, let grace grow in us. Let our lips be a powerful source for truth and a weapon against lies, spreading lyrics of love, notes that he notices. The joy, joy, joy down in your heart, may it beat again. Feeling conflicted in my own skin, the edges are fragile and thin. I let my spirit soak in the sun and shrivel up once day is done. But this soul needs water. So it begins to quench, running from river to river. I've become drenched and saturated in this substance that carries no substance. Weighed down by sight and sound and comparison. Weighed down by expectations to take care of them and let myself go. Let my identity take part in the unknown, a new discovery. Take the time to believe in me and by doing so let them see that we are worth more than sun-dried skin and tissue paper thin morals that shatter at the whisper of defiance. There is so much beauty inside us. This vessel is soft, yet it is so very strong, calloused and caressed by a new dawn. Another day to carry on and stitch by stitch so new patterns that fit perfectly to who we are becoming and who you've always been. Okay, one more. <laughs> Mother. Calloused hands, soaked in soiled dishwater, nests of amber-brown hair and hazard hazel eye, haggard hazel eyes, shoulders arched, releasing stored-up sighs. Her tiny fingers reach for my tree-trunk legs, once firmly planted to the earth, feeling more uprooted each day. Her ocean eyes stare up, and all I can muster up is, Stop! And while I don't want things to altogether stop, I sure as hell wouldn't mind if they would at least slow down or rearrange into something more manageable. I've set my pace to a marathoner when my aching feet can barely keep up with the brisk walk through flowery fields of beauty and memory. Too busy racing towards the finish, towards the unrealistic goals I've placed upon myself. I want to break records, but I also want to create my own path break away from the designated course and just run for freedom and not exhaustion. Everything aches, the sink water soiled, my hands calloused, but still I realize I have so much. What are you making, Mama? He asks with his sweet little high-pitched inquisition. What am I making? Or am I simply just taking up space and using time as a checklist rather than soaking in the stuffed animal kisses the drool, the over-explanations and repetition. Instead of a burden, a time to commune with my body, outside of my body, in two beating hearts and runny noses. 
brains ignited in an imagination that I feel like I've lost grip of. Come play with me, shouting for attention from the bathroom door as I scroll through worlds that will never belong to me and don't need to. Please be kind, I ask them this repeatedly. But perhaps it's truly me that needs these words more than I know. Please be kind. The dishes can go undone, but the eyes looking up at you and the rat's nest of ambition and sass deserve your time. Writing these things down helps me remember and helps me see the beauty in the average. Come play with me, create with me, and most importantly, be kind. Thanks.